Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, while Grant was introducing Mother's Day, I realized I probably should have prepared a Mother Jesus encounter, but I didn't, so sorry. Um, yeah, thanks, Grant. It's uh, really great to be here to be able to share uh, part of your Jesus encounter series. I'm going to speak on the encounter with the rich young ruler um, and his encounter with Jesus, and hopefully as we go through that, uh, there will be some things that will be relevant to our lives and help us as we encounter Jesus. So I'm going to read the passage, if that's okay. I want to read the passage, pray, and uh, then we'll get into it. So this uh, comes from Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. It says, Then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? Will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Can we pray? Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have in your scriptures these stories of people who encountered you, Jesus. And, uh, and I thank you, Lord, that today, by your Holy Spirit, you speak to us through, through these stories and through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this evening, that you would minister to us, that you would help us to encounter you, Jesus, in a fresh and a relevant and a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So about 16 years ago, when I had uh, just started working at the church that Grant and I worked together, um, I'd just come out of varsity, and uh, I just started working at the church, and um, what I didn't really know about that point of my life was that my fashion sense was really bad. And uh, I'm not saying that I've improved much, but it was really bad. I used to wear these baggies that were, I mean, these, these tracksuit pants that were about as wide as tree trunks. 
And then I had these specific shoes. They were Vans, and they were like these skater shoes, but I mean, they were so big. They were like boats, you know, like so puffy. I don't know if you've ever seen people when they dress up in like Mickey Mouse costumes or, or whatever, you know, for promotions, and then they've got those massive like shoes uh, that are, I mean, I, would, I had these skater shoes that were massive. They were massive. And somehow I thought this was cool, and this is what I would wear. I'd wear it to work. I would wear it to church on a Sunday. And then one day, after a service on a Sunday, this couple walked up to me and they gave me an envelope. And I was like, cool, thanks, thanks. Uh, what's this? They're like, no, there's some money in there for new shoes. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. It's like a moment of self-discovery. It's a moment of self-revelation. It's like when suddenly you realize, you know, like they hand you the envelope, you look down, you're trying not to be awkward or offended. You just don't know what to do in this moment, and you walk away, and you're going like, is there something wrong with me? And uh, I tell that story for a, a reason, is that something of what is going on in this passage that we're going to look at is what happens when we come to Jesus. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we have a moment of self-revelation. There is like a moment of self-discovery. Uh, Jesus reveals the things in our hearts, and we have a choice when Jesus reveals some things about us, what we are going to do about that. And this story is, in one sense, a tragedy. It, to me, is one of the most painful stories in the Bible. If you read through the Gospels and you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you realize is that a lot of people come to Jesus and walk away irritated, frustrated, angry. I mean, people want to kill Jesus, and, and eventually, uh, you know, they trial to put him to death on the cross. But what you learn about 90% of those is that the people that walk away angry are like the religious people. They're jealous, they're super religious, they feel like Jesus is challenging the system, and they're really angry with him about that. But then you get this story, which is different. It's the one story where someone walks away sad from Jesus, and they're not jealous about him. They're not frustrated that he is rocking the religious system or trying to take away their power. They, they walk away sad from Jesus because he reveals something about them that they just can't deal with. And uh, as I talk about this Jesus encounter, I want us to, to realize that some, God, when we encounter Jesus, wants to reveal certain things about us. And it is in God's love to help us, but it's going to challenge us. It's going to confront us. It's going to be painful at times. It's a moment of self-discovery. And as we have that moment of self-discovery, we in one sense have a choice, a choice what we are going to do about it. And we will see that in play in this story. So can I give you a brief overview, and then I'll give you three points, and we'll conclude with some concluding thoughts. So brief overview. We have a rich young ruler. We know this because the three gospels kind of reveal this at different points. He's, so he's basically wealthy. He's young. He's in the prime of his life. He's super successful. He is well respected. You can see this by the disciples' response. He is religious. I mean, he is so religious that uh, he says that he 
has adhered to every command that Jesus asked him to. And you know what? Jesus doesn't even challenge him on that. Jesus doesn't even say, ah, you're lying. Like, so, so we know he is well-respected, seen as uh, probably a, a very kind of like, in, in the religious community, he would have had a, a lot of respect. But he, he was wealthy, he was successful, he was young. But we know from the story that he also, there's something missing in his life. What drives him to Jesus, in Mark's gospel, it says that he runs to Jesus and falls on his knees. So what drives him to Jesus is this fact that even though he's wealthy and successful and seems to be doing all the right things, there is something missing in his life. And so he's driven to Jesus by this need, by this uh, sense of emptiness, by this something niggling on his life, something that he's missing. He's driven to Jesus, and he falls on his knees, as Mark's gospel says. He comes to Jesus in a state of humility, seeing that there's something in Jesus that can help him with his problems. And uh, so he has this encounter with Jesus. But we see that the encounter with Jesus doesn't end as positively as we would like. We would like him to come to Jesus, as many did, and find just amazing grace and love and joy and hope and walk away celebrating. But instead, he is confronted with something that he is just unable to deal with. Um, and that's kind of the story. And the story ends with Jesus now speaking with his disciples after this encounter. And his disciples are absolutely astonished by what's going on. They are, their minds are blown. Like, they cannot believe what's just happened. So they are astonished. It's like complete bewilderment to, to them. What is just unfolded between Jesus and the rich young ruler? And the reason why it's bewilderment is... D.A. Carson says, is that if you were a Jew at this time, it isn't that you thought wealth would get you into the kingdom. It was that you thought those who were wealthy were favored by God. So they obviously would be in the kingdom. And so for them, their minds are blown because they're seeing someone who they thought fit the bill of someone who is absolutely certain to be a godly person walk away from Jesus sad. And so for them, they're having a mind shift. They themselves are having an encounter with Jesus that is changing their worlds. And Jesus uh, comforts his disciples in, in that final passage. But I, I want to mention just three things to us this evening, three points of what happens when you and I encounter Jesus from this passage that I think we can learn. Uh, the first thing that we learn is this, is that when we encounter Jesus, Jesus will inevitably at some point confront us or challenge us on some things. Jesus is going to inevitably challenge some part of our lives when we come to Jesus. Now, we don't like to think of Jesus like this way. We like to think of Jesus as the one who we go to, and he has open arms of love and grace and acceptance and is never going to challenge anything about us. If you look on Instagram all day, or uh, you're following all the different reels, or, or, or the inspirational quotes that come up, what, are, what do we see so often, uh, what do we read so often on social media, we read, just, you know, love you for who you are, just accept who you are. So the fact that Jesus confronts just seems to be so anti what everyone is telling us 
today. But Jesus is going to confront us as he confronted the rich young ruler. And if you read just the Matthew passage of, of this kind of story, you might think that when Jesus tells the rich young ruler to sell everything he has and give to the poor, you kind of may think that Jesus is frustrated at this point. He's told the rich young ruler, he said to him, hey, obey all these commands, and he's like, I have, what do I still lack? And you maybe get this picture of Jesus going, yo, can this guy like give up now? Okay, now I'm bringing out the big guns. Like he's a little frustrated with the guy, so he's bringing out the big guns. But if you read the Mark account, you realize it says in the Mark account that when the rich young ruler said he has done all of these and he still lacks, it says Jesus looked at him with love and said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. It's almost like Jesus is looking at a man that is grappling with the some of the emptiness that he's feeling in his life and knows that for him to be able to deal with some of the stuff, Jesus is going to have to confront him. And he looks at him with love, knowing that some of the words that he is about to say is going to be deeply painful. Jesus, when we have an encounter with Jesus, he inevitably is going to confront us. I don't know if you know this, but we do not grow without being challenged. The way that we grow, the way that we build muscle, if we go to the gym, is small little tears in the muscle, small little pains happen, and it causes it to grow. Uh, The way that we grow in our workplace is we get put into difficult situations, situations where we get challenged on, where we uh, realize we have to change some things, where we realize we have to get better into some things. The way that you and I grow as people is that we inevitably at some point have to be confronted. We have to go through difficulty. We have to go through things that are painful. The way that we grow in our faith when we encounter Jesus is that Jesus is going to confront some things in our lives. He is going to point out some things in our lives that need to be changed, that need to be challenged. In this instance, it is wealth. It is money. And uh, we can read in this Story and think that Jesus is saying at this point that no rich people will get into heaven. And I don't know if there are any, I don't know the church well enough to know if there's any rich people here, but that can be really disturbing if you read that. You're like, oh dear, what does that mean for me? But, you know, the Zacchaeus encounter, which uh, I know you guys have gone through, comes a couple of chapters after. And in the Zacchaeus encounter, what do we see? We see a rich man encountering Jesus, meeting with, with Jesus, and Jesus saying, salvation has come to this house. So we know Jesus isn't saying, necessarily, that no rich man is going to get into heaven. Um, but what is happening here is that is the rich young ruler is being challenged on something very specific for him. For you and I, when we encounter Jesus, he may, be encounter, he may be challenging our wealth. He may be challenging our love for money. 
when we encounter Jesus, he may challenge us on something else. I find often when I encounter with Jesus, he challenges me on gluttony. So just being vulnerable, I love food. Like, it's a problem. I really love food. And I can overeat at any point. Like, I can really overeat. You know, the kind of overeating when you feel, like, super uncomfortable. Ever, anyone? Was it just me? Anyway, like that super uncomfortableness, it happens to me way too often. Because I just love food. So I often, like, I feel like if I'm praying, I'm encountering God, won't you meet with me? It's like, Jamie, you shouldn't have eaten two pies. I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> Lord, but they were just so good, you know? Um, so for me, I often feel challenged on what I eat and how much I eat and the fact that if I go somewhere who, uh, or to someone's home and they're serving delicious food, I just always end up eating too much. For you... It may be something else. You may be challenged on your need to be liked. You may be challenged on your obsession with aesthetics. Maybe you just love your home too much. Or maybe beauty is an idol to you. When we encounter Jesus, Jesus is going to confront some things in our lives. He's going to point some things out. He's going to point out the things that, as we will see in our second point, the things that are more important than our lives than Jesus himself. He's going to point out the things in our lives that we derive more comfort from, more security than Jesus himself. For some of us, it may be wealth. And this passage may be deeply challenging to you. As you read this passage, you may feel uncomfortable. And that uncomfortable is not me trying to get money out of you. Some of this passage is going to make you uncomfortable because your security, your hope, your trust is in the wealth that you have. For me, I feel deeply convicted about how I eat. For others, it may be that... We love our homes too much, or it could be a number of other things. What's interesting about this confrontation of Jesus, and we will see a bit of this in the second point, is that Jesus is not asking the man for his money. Often the issue we have with the church, and when we hear something like this, we could be like, oh, there goes the church again. They're going to tune me about money because they want my money. Jesus doesn't want his money. In fact, what does he do? He tells them, go deal with your money, give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me. So in fact, the man is going to be dependent on Jesus without bringing his money to Jesus. So he is going to be more of a cost to Jesus than what Jesus is going to get from him. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to highlight, he's trying to point out, he's trying to confront the man's true desires. And that becomes an issue for the man, as we will see at the end. But the second thing that Jesus does is Jesus calls. He calls him. Not only does Jesus challenge the idol, 
go and sell all that you have. But Jesus calls him to himself. Jesus invites him on a journey of following him. It's, a, it's the same call that goes to his disciples. When Jesus called the disciples, he tells them to follow him. He is calling this man to discipleship. He's calling this man to relationship. He's calling this man to dependency. He's calling him to become an apprentice of Jesus. But here, at another point, the idol of the man's heart is revealed. Because what, happened, what do we see? When, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he says this. He says, he says, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? What good thing? What we learn about this guy is that he doesn't actually want a relationship with God at all. What we learn about him is that he's got a whole bunch of things. He's young, probably energetic, successful, religious, wealthy. Uh, he's got status and prominence in the community, but he's missing something. He's missing something, and he doesn't actually think that he wants God. He wants something else. He wants to do something great. Maybe he wants some great act that is going to make him feel more fulfilled. So he comes to Jesus, and, and he's basically saying, Jesus, what must I add to my life to make my life better? And Jesus corrects him. And Jesus corrects him at this point and says, why, why do you call me good? Don't you know only God is good? And what subtly is happening here is not that Jesus is saying that he is not good because he is God. What subtly is happening here is that Jesus is correcting the man's view. He's saying, don't you know? You'll know this because you're a religious Jew. You will know, as the Old Testament scriptures say, that only God is good. What you're asking for is you're asking for good apart from God. You're asking for an addition to your life apart from God. And so Jesus, in the final confrontation, but what is the ultimate call, is going to invite the man out of the idolatry and the safety of his wealth, and he's going to invite him to God himself, to relationship with God. And it's at this point that he ultimately can't accept because in his coming to Jesus, he was hoping that Jesus would just offer him something great that he could do that would make him feel more fulfilled. But instead, what Jesus does is he offers himself. He offers himself. And at that point, he realizes he doesn't actually want God. It's at that point that he realizes that he doesn't actually want Jesus. He wants his wealth. He wants his success. He wants to live in that world. And so he goes away really sad. What happens with you and I is that Jesus is going to confront us. When we encounter Jesus, there will be some sort of confrontation. He is going to confront you on your idol, and then he is going to offer himself to you. And at that point, we're going to see what we really want. We're going to see whether what we really want is God, or what we're hoping for in our church attendance, 
in our trying to be good people, in our religiosity, we're going to see whether what we really want is Jesus himself or we just want some addition to our lives that is going to make us feel better. The primary thing that happens in every Jesus encounter is Jesus ultimately calls you and I to himself, to discipleship, to be an apprentice, as John Marcoma says. It is the invitation to trust God, to obey God, to love God, to enjoy God, to walk with God. And as you would have heard at every Jesus encounter, this is the invitation that comes time after time after time. Jesus encounters people, and that encounter results in the call. It results in the invitation to God himself. And the third thing that happens when we encounter Jesus is he, prom- is he offers us a promise We are mistaken if we read this passage and think that Jesus is only concerned with taking away something from the rich young ruler. He is not only concerned with that. In fact, if you read it with some attention, you realize Jesus is not asking for anything to be taken away. He's really asking for him to see greater value in something else. He is offering a promise He's saying, why are you obsessed with riches here when I am offering you riches in heaven? He's like, I am offering you something greater. I'm just asking you to let go of what is here so that you can lay hold of what is there. Jesus is offering him a promise. And sometimes our fear of encountering God is that we fear that God is just going to dismantle us. God is, we're going to have to give up everything for God and we're going to be totally less off. Jesus is offering him more than he is going to give up. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. He offers us so much more. The rich young ruler was obsessed with riches on earth, but Jesus was saying, I will give you eternal riches. Sometimes we are so obsessed with comfort down here, but Jesus is offering us eternal comfort. Sometimes we are obsessed with beauty down here that is frail and that goes with age, but Jesus is offering us eternal beauty. Jesus challenges us, he calls us, but he gives us a promise. What is amazing here is that you see that promise re-emphasize. Not only does he offer it to the rich young ruler and he cannot accept it, he goes away sad, but he again re-emphasizes that very promise to his disciples. The disciples are at this point asking Jesus, who can be saved? They, They completely boggled by the encounter until Peter pipes up and he says what about us Jesus we followed you and Jesus says of course the riches that are promised the rich young ruler are yours as well anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life 
Jesus is re-emphasizing this point, that as we come to him, yes, he's going to challenge our idols, but he's going to call us to himself. And in that call, he offers us eternal promises. But as we close on uh, something of this, I, I think what I, the part that I, I really want us to, to get hold of this evening is what I call the great reveal. There's a great reveal that happens here. It's a, it's a moment of self-enlightenment that happens. It's a challenging moment of self-enlightenment. One of the things that we don't realize often, because as we open up our Bibles, it says right at the top above the passage, the rich young ruler, or the rich and the kingdom of God, or, you know, it's, it tells us right up front in, in our, like, Bible headers, what is coming up. But those Bible headers are added into scriptures to help us know where we're following. But if you really read the passage as is written without those headers, what you realize is that you actually don't know that he's a rich young ruler. You don't know that until the end. If you read the ESV, it says that someone came to Jesus. The NIV says a man came to Jesus. The, the, the gospel of Mark has, has this man coming to Jesus, running and coming on his knees. It is the ultimate act of humility. Rich people in those days did not run. He runs to Jesus. He falls on his feet. It's a great act of humility for who Jesus is. So what we learn right up front is that he just comes as a man. He comes as a somewhat religious man. He comes as a seeker. He comes as someone who is desiring something from Jesus. At this point, we don't know that he's a rich young ruler. We just know that he is a seeker. Right at the start, we have a pious seeker looking to get something about Jesus. In uh, John's gospel, in chapter 2, it says this, that Jesus knows what's in a man's heart. It says Jesus did not entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in a man's heart. So Jesus knows what's in the deepest, darkest crevices of this person's heart before it's even been revealed to us, before we even know that he is a rich, young ruler. And what happens is he's confronted with his idol. And it's only when he's confronted at his idol do we realize that he is a wealthy man in, with great possessions. We don't realize that right until the end. We don't realize that right until this moment where he's confronted with his true identity. He's come to Jesus as a pious seeker, but he walks away as a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus as a pious, humble desire of something from Jesus, but the story tells us he walks away as a rich, young ruler. And what is happening here? He's come to Jesus looking for something from Jesus. And what has been revealed to him is his true identity. What has been revealed to him is that he has an obsession with wealth and power 
and maybe even his own age. He has an obsession with that. That is his most important identity. And the reason why I say this is that sometimes what happens when we come to Jesus is we may come to church, we're desperately seeking something. There's an emptiness in our lives, maybe exactly like the rich young ruler. We come to Jesus, we feel like we're genuinely seeking, we feel like we're open, we feel like we, we want to know more about what is happening, and what gets revealed to us is the, very, is the thing that is most important in our lives. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus looking for something good, and he walks away from Jesus realizing that he can't let go of his wealth. Sometimes we come to Jesus looking for something good and realizing that there's something in our lives that we cannot get let go of. We're like, Jesus, you can ask me of some things, but do not ask me of that. Jesus, you can ask me of this thing, but don't take away my true identity. As long as I can still be seen as the wealthy person, as long as I can still be seen as the powerful person, as long as I can still be cool, Jesus, don't touch that. What happens with the rich young ruler is that he comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus with a sense of humility he comes to Jesus with a sense of openness, which is what we see, but he is confronted about his love and his trust of money. And he just can't let go of it. And so what happens is he leaves sad. D.A. Carson says this about this passage. He says, the funny thing about this passage is that the very thing that is causing him to be empty is the very thing he cannot let go of. The very thing that is driving him to Jesus in need is the very thing that he cannot open his hands of. Tim Keller says, ultimately our idols promise much but they deliver little. The things that we hold on that we just can't give to Jesus are ultimately the things that make us more needy. This man comes to Jesus. We just know him as a man, as a person, as the ESV says, as someone that comes to Jesus. But he walks away as a rich young ruler, as he is confronted with who he really is, as the very thing that is stopping him from loving Jesus and the very thing that he can't get rid of. There's something amazing about this passage, and it's, it's the thing that Jesus says about the rich that is often challenging. Jesus says it's easier for a rich man, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. A camel was the largest animal in uh, Judea at that time. 
So what Jesus is saying is he's making a kind of a joke. It's like this most ridiculous thing that he can say. As Jesus is saying this, he's saying, think of the largest animal in our nation at the time. For us, what it would be be the African elephants, you know. So think of this massive elephant, and then think of a needle you use for sewing, and think how they can't go through each other. It just, it's impossible, which is why the disciples go, wow, this is impossible. Who then can enter the kingdom of God? And then what, what happens here? Jesus says, of course it's impossible. Of course it's impossible. It's impossible for you and I to get rid of our idols without the grace of God. Many theologians say that this story needs to be told with the Zacchaeus story. And what happens is one man comes to Jesus with humility, but he leaves with his identity. And one person comes to Jesus with his identity, a tax collector, a short man up in the tree, an outcast. He comes fully as who he is, but he meets with Jesus and leaves redeemed. You and I have an opportunity to encounter Jesus, and it's going to be a moment of grace. Some of the things that God, as he confronts us, are going to seem too big for us to deal with. But as we open our hearts to his grace, he helps us be like Zacchaeus rather than the rich young ruler. God will confront you. He will challenge you. He is going to call you to himself, the place of ultimate fulfillment. And he is going to offer us so much more than what he confronts us on. And I think, to me, the best part of the story is, is that the disciples have that moment. The d- disciples are astonished as their worlds, their minds are blown by what is going on. Their own hopes and dreams of what they thought Jesus was inviting them to have just been shattered. But the story ends with Jesus' incredible words of comfort, promising the disciples so much more. As you and I come to Jesus, as we encounter with Jesus, he is going to ask us to loose our hands of some idols, but he is going to invite us to the full riches of heaven, to the fullness that he is. He is going to ask us in love to loosen our hands of everything that is stopping us from loving him. And he's going to invite us to discipleship to love and obey, to trust and believe, to walk with God in everything. Amen. Can I pray for us? Shall we stand? I think there's an interesting contrast in this passage. It's a contrast of a rich young ruler that walks away as opposed to disciples who are deeply engaged with Jesus. And I think sometimes that's what happens here in this room as preaching goes out, as we worship. Some of us, as Jesus comes and meets with us, we might walk away sad because we just don't actually want Him. But others of us are going to say, Jesus... I walk with you. Are you with me? 
And Jesus is going to meet with us in a deep and a powerful way. And I want to pray for us that God, that as we go through this Jesus Encounter series, as you as a church go through this Jesus Encounter series, that as he speaks to you and confronts you and calls you and assures you with his promises, that you will meet with Jesus in a very real and powerful way and that his grace will give you the strength to loosen your hands from the idols that we hold on to. Father, we come to you. We don't want to come to you with a false sense of humility that maybe the rich young ruler had. We want to come to you with genuine humility with hands that are prepared to be loosened and open wide. We want to come with a sense of readiness for you to challenge us and speak to us with the uncomfortableness that happens when you point some things in our lives, Lord, that are not good, that we need to let go of. We want to come with open hands, Lord, that we can lay those things down that we can heed your call and that we can be reassured by your promises. And I pray, Lord, for every single person here. Maybe some people, Lord, are, are being challenged even this evening on idols in their hearts that they need to lay down. I pray, God, that you would help them that you would show us that you are more than enough. That as the psalmist says, that your love is better than life. That your love, God, is better than life. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, Lord, I desire nothing on earth. Oh Lord, won't you teach us to loosen our hands from the affections of this world and to pour and to focus our desires on the beauty that is you. Won't you help us, Lord, as we encounter you? We would be filled with, as your gospel said, the fullness of life that only comes from giving our lives over to you. In Jesus' name.